Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 159, YouTube Atheists. And before we get started, I'd like to thank everyone who responded to my desperate narcissistic plea and uh, liked the Facebook page last week. Specifically, Rachel Olive, I think she was the first one to answer the call, Gavin Brown, Paul McHorder, hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, and Discret Generos, I take it that's not your Christian name, Uh, (laughs) Discret Generos, maybe that is your birth name, what do I know? Imagine if that was your real name. I just totally made fun of you on the air. But whatever moniker you choose to go by, thank you for liking the show. Seriously, it means a lot. Thank you, guys. As I like to say, it lets me know people are listening, and it also helps spread the word about the show. So there were a couple of other things I wanted to talk about as well before we dig in. Oh, yeah, I finished recording that uh, H.P. Lovecraft story that I promised the uh, Patreon supporters, all two of you. Uh, But hopefully it will entice a couple of more people to become patrons as well. We'll see. So as I said, the recording's done, but now I have to finish editing it. Um, I want it to sound clean and polished like a real audiobook, which in a way it is, I suppose, which is why I may also try to sell it on iTunes or through Audible. But hopefully the editing will be done by the end of this week. This is now Sunday, July 26th, as I uh, record this. And I just remembered the other thing I want to mention. So last week's episode was a kind of vocab lesson or a glossary of debate terminology. I thought I covered a fair amount of uh, highfalutin debate lingo, but I neglected to mention one of the most obvious and widely used terms, straw man. How the heck did I forget to include straw man? Well, I guess I'll quickly cover it now. Merriam-Webster's defines straw man as a weak or imaginary opposition, as an argument or adversary, set up only to be easily confuted. Then definition number two is a person set up to serve as a cover for a usually questionable transaction. And this entry claims its first use was supposedly in 1886. And Wikipedia says a straw man is a common form of argument and is an informal fallacy based on giving the impression of refuting an opponent's argument while actually refuting an argument which was not advanced by the opponent. The so-called typical attacking a straw man argument creates the illusion of having completely refuted or defeated an opponent's proposition by covertly replacing it with a different proposition, i.e. stand up a straw man, and then to refute or defeat that false argument, knock down a straw man instead of the original proposition. This technique has been used throughout history in polemical debate, particularly in arguments about highly charged emotional issues where a fiery, entertaining quote-unquote battle and the defeat of an quote-unquote enemy may be more valued than critical thinking or understanding both sides of the issue. In the United Kingdom, the argument is also known as an odd sally after the pub game of the same name, where patrons throw sticks or battens at a model of an old woman's head. And that goes into a little bit of the origins. As a fallacy, the identification and name of straw man arguments are of relatively recent date, although Aristotle makes remarks that suggest a similar concern. Douglas Walton identified the first inclusion of what we can find in a textbook as an informal fallacy in Stuart Chase's 
Guide to Straight Thinking from 1956. However, Hamblin's classic text, Fallacies, 1970, neither mentions it as a distinct type nor even as a historical term. The idea of men of straw who can be knocked down by the lightest puff, the smallest breath of truth, erected by invaders upon a field to scare away others who might join the movement, can be found in Victoria C. Woodhull's The Scarecrows of Sexual Slavery, written in 1873. The origins of the term are unclear. The usage of the term in rhetoric suggests a human figure made of straw, no duh, which is easily knocked down or destroyed, such as a military training dummy, scarecrow, or effigy. The rhetorical technique is something, yeah, it goes into Aunt Sally again. One common folk etymology is that it refers to men who stood outside courthouses with a straw in their shoe in order to indicate their willingness to be a false witness. And there were a couple others that I just realized I had overlooked, like syllogism. So I may have to do a volume two or a part two on the subject of debate terminology. But anyway, on with the show. So YouTube atheists. I guess I'll start with one that some of you might not think really fits into this category. But it's the Young Turks. Now, if you spend any time on YouTube, then you're probably already aware of the Young Turks. They're supposedly the largest online news network, and their numbers are absolutely tremendous. Uh, I believe they're officially over a billion views. Now, TYT was founded by Cenk Uygur, a Turkish-American who immigrated to the U.S. as a kid, I think when he, when he was roughly about eight years old. And he's a, a pretty accomplished individual. He has a law degree. Uh, he had small parts in some big films, um, I believe. And uh, he used to be on the now-defunct Air America. And for a while, he was actually a host on MSNBC during what is now Al Sharpton's time slot. And uh, I almost forgot TYT was actually on television for a while as part of Current TV's evening lineup. Current TV, also now defunct, and uh, was replaced or bought out by Al Jazeera America. Now, I've been a Young Turks fan for years. I think they were one of the first podcasts I discovered after I got my first iPod and started using iTunes. Brian Dunning's Skeptoid is, is another one. That may have been the very first podcast that I ever downloaded, or, or at least that I, I really got into. So I've had a pretty long-standing love affair with uh, TYT. I'm hard-pressed to think of anything I ever disagreed with them on over the years, until recently, that is. Of course, in a couple of recent episodes, I disagreed with John Idarola concerning the case of a 24-year-old Belgian woman suffering from clinical depression who was given official approval to be euthanized. I gave some pretty in-depth, hard felt reasons why I think it's wrong to euthanize a young, otherwise healthy person due to depression or some other mood disorder. Uh, I'm not getting into that again. The big thing that I and others have taken issue with is the attitude Cenk has taken regarding stories having to do with Islamic fundamentalism. I think I personally noticed this trend starting to set in in the wake of that Ben Affleck, Sam Harris debacle on Real Time with Bill Maher. The wait time flies, I don't know if that was half a year ago or a year ago perhaps, but if you remember, what happened was Ben Affleck was on a panel with Sam Harris, Nicholas Kristoff, Michael Steele, and of course Bill Maher. Affleck took offense to some of what Maher and Harris had to say about Islam, and things got rather ugly and uncomfortable. 
It actually changed the way I looked at Ben Affleck. I thought he came off as miserable, rude, and unnecessarily combative. Even if he was offended, he could have handled himself in a more civil way, in, in my opinion. But it made a lot of waves. The clip made its way all over the news, both online and on television. And to be honest, I'm not as concerned about Islam as some other atheists like Sam Harris. Maybe, to be honest, I'm just burnt out and worn down on the topic, I don't know. But I did tend to side with Marr and Harris, and when covering the story, Jenk tended to side with Affleck to my relative dismay. Jenk continued to criticize Harris, and so did some guests he had on, like Reza Aslan and C.J. Werleman. And eventually the whole thing culminated in an exhausting three-hour debate or discussion between Jenk and Sam. It's still kicking around on YouTube if you want to check it out. I thought seeing two people I admire go head-to-head would be much more exciting or gratifying. But the whole thing felt like a waste. Three hours of hot air and arguing in circles without anything really productive coming out of it, in my opinion. Just to give a quick breakdown of my own view on Islam, I've said many times on the show that despite being a non-believer, I still have a love for or fascination with world religion, mythology, etc., etc. And if you name a religion, I can probably tell you something I like about it, at least on a poetic or figurative level. Or maybe, you know, some of the more humanistic tenets of the religion, or maybe things like sacred art, music, and architecture associated with um, that religion or culture. And Islam is no exception. But I think we have to be intellectually honest and not give in to political correctness. If someone kills others in the name of a religion, then there's obviously some religious aspect or component to it. And we shouldn't be made to feel afraid to point that out. For example, the recent Chattanooga shooting, where we had a young Muslim man somewhere in his early 20s, I believe, who killed several Marines at a military base. He grew up in the States, was as American as apple pie, according to friends and teachers and coaches and whatnot. But supposedly he did develop problems with drugs and drinking, Um, may have been suffering from depression, and I talked about depression on the show recently, and I don't want to give the uh, false impression that there's some correlation between depression and violence, generally speaking. Most people suffering with depression aren't violent, but sometimes people who do commit these violent antisocial acts can be suffering from depression, and that's kind of a part of the mix. So we have to, in fairness, add that into the mix, the um, drugs, alcohol, whatever mental or emotional disorders he was dealing with. But according to his own family, even though at least one friend seems to speak otherwise, he did embrace extreme religious beliefs to some degree. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's according to his own family, And uh, now I just noticed online that the FBI is now calling him a quote-unquote homegrown violent extremist. So other factors may have been at play as well, but somewhere in the mix was Islamic extremist ideology. Does that mean all Muslims are violent? Does that mean if we accuse this one guy of extremism that we're accusing all Muslims of extremism? No, of course not. So why do we get accused of being racist or bigoted if we point out the Muslim extremist angle? 
The racist thing is weird since Islam is a religion, not a race. I believe Ben Affleck referred to Sam Harris's remarks as quote-unquote racist and gross. If a Christian bombs an abortion clinic, which hasn't happened in some years to my knowledge, I have no problem calling it Christian extremism or domestic terrorism. I have no problem calling Lily White Tim McVeigh or IRA bombers uh, terrorists or extremists. So why can't we point out that the world has a problem right now with Islamic extremism. And once again, I'm talking about the extremist minority, not all Muslims. We know we have ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram running amok overseas, and now we're starting to see homegrown extremism rearing its ugly head, some of them probably radicalized online by some of these overseas groups, and some self-radicalized. But why can't we point that out? without being made to feel self-conscious or without being accused of being bigoted. It's gotten quite annoying, though. Every time a story about Islamic extremism is covered on TYT, Cenk gets loud as if accusing the audience and goes off on a rant about what he sees as the uh, disparity between the way we treat white shooters and shooters who happen to be Muslim, saying that we never call lone wolf white males uh, terrorists. Well, there's usually a reason. If some deluded freak shoots up a movie theater, like in the case of the Aurora shooting, but has no religious or political agenda, then he really is just a lone wolf. But let's say someone from the Westboro Baptist Church one day decides to pull the pin on a grenade outside a soldier's funeral. That would be religious extremism or domestic terrorism. Let's say a kid who happens to be Muslim but was irreligious, rebellious, rejecting his parents' religion, uh, went on a shooting spree because he was picked on and pissed off. That wouldn't be religious and it wouldn't be terrorism. That would be the case of a lone wolf shooter. I don't know if all of this is making sense, but I hope so. Yeah, it is frustrating though. As a TYT fan, I enjoy most of their coverage. But then whenever one of these stories comes up, I'm like, here we go. I remember when Cenk used to really go after religion in general and point out the hypocrisy and absurdity of it. But now he seems to spend more time chiding the audience or whoever he's addressing through the camera and ranting about what he sees as the unfair treatment of Muslims. Uh, chasing viewers right into the waiting bosom of atheist Rue. Um, it is funny, though. If you go to Atheism is Unstoppable's channel, you no you'll notice that a lot of people there are disillusioned TYT fans. But I guess I'll take this opportunity to segue into a discussion of Atheism is Unstoppable. So Atheism is Unstoppable, a.k.a. Atheist Rue, a.k.a. Devin Tracy. I believe Devin's a designer or videographer or video editor or something like that. He's pretty good with Photoshop. Uh, I have a degree in graphic design, so we might actually have a lot in common in that regard. Well, I guess first off, I'll say whatever you think of him, his videos are fun. In fact, even though I agree with him on some things, including some of his criticisms of the Young Turks, the primary reason why I go to his channel is because I enjoy the entertainment uh, quality or value. His mascot is a photoshopped kangaroo, hence the moniker Atheist Roo, and often the kangaroo will adorn different costumes and its facial expressions will change in reaction to what's being said. And the other entertaining thing is Devin's personality or demeanor. He does have a good sense of humor and he tends to get worked up a bit. To be honest, I'm not sure how much is him hamming it up for the audience and how much of his outrage is genuine. I do believe he's sincere in his views. I just don't know if he revs things up a bit 
um, more for uh, the entertainment value. In a way, I'm almost tempted to call him the soup Nazi of YouTube atheism. Remember the soup Nazi from Seinfeld? If you didn't follow exact protocol and do things his way, you'd get yelled at and kicked out of line. It's kind of like that. Sometimes the kangaroo is dressed like Thor and wields something known as the Banhammer. If you criticize Devin even good-naturedly, bam, you're gone, banned from the channel. Uh, same goes for Twitter. Even by saying this now could be ban-worthy, we'll see. And once again, to be honest, I'm not sure if this over-the-top policy is part of his shtick or if he's really that temperamental, not sure. It's fun when it happens to someone else, but probably sucks if you're a devoted fan and he permanently bans or blocks you for speaking your mind. And he's recently gotten into some feuds with other online atheists, including Jacqueline Glenn and The Amazing Atheist. And funny enough, it's not religion they're clashing over, but race. They accuse the Rue of being racist, he accuses them of being social justice warriors, blah blah blah. And this stems from his coverage of some of the recent news stories regarding cases of alleged police brutality or even killings of young black men. Now I have to admit I'm not very well versed on the statistics of how many white Americans versus how many African Americans commit certain crimes. You guys know me, I don't even like the concept of race, I find it biologically flawed and socially divisive. Uh, he made a video recently in response to one published by Jacqueline Glenn in which she expressed her thoughts on Dylan, on the uh, Dylan Roof case. And I think that's what directly sparked the feud. She's friends with the Amazing Atheist and she went on his live show, The Drunken Peasants, to talk about Devin's criticisms of her. I'm trying to think if I left anything out. Oh yeah, he has something called the lineup. He photoshops various prominent atheists to make them look like they're standing together in solidarity and displays it at the bottom of his videos. Over time, if any of the people in the lineup piss him off, uh, to put it bluntly, he yanks them out. He removed Neil deGrasse Tyson for not being open enough about his atheism. And if I remember correctly, I think way back he used to have like a cartoon version of the lineup with people like Cult of Dusty, The Amazing Atheist, and maybe even Jacqueline, I can't remember. Probably won't be seeing that again anytime soon. I guess it makes sense to talk about Jacqueline Glenn now. She's another popular YouTube atheist. I think she has around 340,000 subscribers. I guess first off, I'll say that I feel bad for her in a way, not that she needs my pity or anything, because she unfairly takes a lot of heat even from some fellow atheists simply because she happens to be fairly attractive. People accuse her of rising to fame on YouTube due to her looks instead of her intellect, which I think is a pretty crappy and unfair accusation to uh, level at someone. She is smart and well-versed on the issues and quick on her feet when debating. So, I mean, how do you empirically say how much of her success is due to her looks and how much is due to her intellect and talent? So why even bring it up? She has done some kind of risque videos about sex in the past, and she even did a recent shoot for Playboy, uh, fully clothed though, I should mention. Uh, but so what? It's her channel. She can do whatever she wants. It is true that looks matter to some degree. It's just a harsh fact of life. But I think it applies to men, too. Perhaps not to the same degree, but it's still a factor. If Richard Dawkins weighed 300 pounds, had male pattern baldness, and a wart on his nose, would people still find him as charming? Would he still be as sought after to take part in debates and interviews, etc.? 
I recently watched an episode of The Drunken Peasants that she was on, and she was debating another and far less popular online atheist named uh, Ryan Wiley, I believe. And I'm usually not this blunt, but I couldn't stand the guy. He's incredibly unpleasant and obnoxious, constantly talking over others, then complains that he's not getting enough time to talk. He likes sniping at others on Twitter, but thinks it's unfair when he's called out on it and asked to debate people in response. He considers himself a feminist, but he accuses Jacqueline Glenn of riding to fame on her looks. But anyway, uh, so I guess I'll talk about The Amazing Atheist now, TJ Kirk. So The Amazing Atheist is hugely popular. He has over 700,000 subscribers. I would call him both famous and infamous. There's a lot of people that just hate this guy. There's a lot of feminists in particular who find him vile, for lack of a better or kinder word. Which is strange, since underneath all the bluster, he's actually quite progressive and fair-minded, especially on gender issues. His shtick, and I already feel bad saying that because I think it's probably largely just him being uh, him, is that he basically unapologetically says what he thinks uh, political correctness be damned. And his language is usually peppered with a heaping helping of uh, swearing and vulgarity. Not that I mind, I don't. The reason I don't really swear on this show is out of consideration for you, the listener. Underneath all of that, like I said, is, is someone who is really smart, sensitive, thoughtful, and fair, and, and holds progressive values. But there are some things in his past that some might find disturbing, there's a site called Encyclopedia Dramatica, basically a cesspool of slander and depravity, but it does contain some truth in most of its accusations. And if you go there, and you probably shouldn't, there's a lot of dirt on TJ, a.k.a. The Amazing Atheist. If you watch his main channel or if you watch the live show he co-hosts, uh, The Drunken Peasants, you'll probably notice a lot of banana jokes at TJ's expense. He's a pretty sexually adventurous person, I guess, and he's pretty open about his sex life and his bisexuality. Well, he performed a certain sex act on himself with a banana. Hopefully I'm not getting too graphic for any of you who have sensitive ears. And a girl who he was video chatting with shared the video with the world, hence the infamous banana incident. And in fairness to TJ, instead of running away with his tail or banana between his legs, he actually addressed it head-on on his own channel. And uh, his honesty about his own shortcomings or uh, his own embarrassments or whatever is actually really refreshing. It's one of the things I like about him. I think there's also a gif of him flailing after pouring a pot of scalding hot liquid over his own genitals with the caption, the native dance of my people, or something like that. On a more serious note, there are some remarks that he made during a flame war with a feminist that keep coming back to haunt him. I guess they were made when he was much younger, but he said some pretty over-the-top nasty stuff. And I think the person may have been a rape victim, and some of his remarks reference that. He's repeatedly apologized for those things he said, but they're still out there online, and uh, they're pretty brutal if you go and uh, read them. But in fairness to him, once again, TJ actually reads verbatim the very remarks he's apologizing for in a video on uh, his own channel. 
But all in all, if you don't mind swearing and you want some thoughtful and interesting commentary on atheism and religious issues, I still think The Amazing Atheist is definitely deserving of your time. And the other show he does, The Drunken Peasants, is a riot. Uh, The Cartman impressions get a little old after a while, but still a very, very entertaining show. It almost kind of reminds me of uh, YouTube's answer to Howard Stern in a way. It has that kind of uh, feel to it. Next, I think I'll discuss Noel Plum 99. I believe he's probably in his middle years, kind of a charming salt-of-the-earth guy based in the UK, a fireman by day, I believe. What I like about him is that he's very bright and thoughtful, but he delivers his thoughts in a very plain-spoken and congenial kind of way. And he's very fair, whether he's talking about radical feminists or MRAs or PZ Myers and free thought blogs or whatever. He always does so in a very balanced and fair-minded way. He's definitely worth uh, checking out. And I don't think he's ever shoved a banana up his ass. Not that I'm judging. Let's see, who's next? I guess there's a channel called Essence of Thought hosted by a young English bloke <laughs> named Peter Thurston. Actually, I don't even know the term for it, but I think he identifies with both genders and he actually goes uh, by the names both Peter and Ethel Thurston. He considers himself a feminist, but he's very fair-minded and measured in not just his approach to feminism, but his approach to everything. He's an incredibly bright and well-spoken young guy. He's so intelligent that I must admit that sometimes that I get a little lost trying to intellectually keep up with him. So the next two I'm going to discuss, I'm covering at the suggestion request of friend and listener John Haas. So first up is non-stamp collector. I have to admit I wasn't too familiar with this one, but when I looked him up on YouTube today, I saw some of the thumbnails and it jogged my memory. Non-stamp collector is the guy who does the funny cartoons that feature very simple, almost stick figure-like characters. They're simple yet well done. And the cool thing is, is that they're as informative as they are entertaining. Earlier today, I watched the one where they have a game show where contestants are asked questions about Hitler. And as it's entertaining you, it's actually kind of sneakily educating you about all the ways in which Hitler, at least publicly, supported religion and used religious rhetoric. I also watched a few others, the Noah's Ark one, the one with uh, the angels at Mission Control, and a couple couple others. Good stuff. I think he hasn't been releasing as many videos lately. According to one clip I watched, uh, I think he had a kid not long ago, and so he's been devoting himself to uh, other things, such as family, which I guess is important. We'll give him a pass. We don't want him to be like one of those World of Warcraft families, the people who, uh, like staring at the monitor like zombies while the baby's uh, starving to death behind them. So the other one I wanted to cover for John is Theoretical Bullshit. Well, that's the name of the channel. Uh, Well, I I might have to put an explicit warning on this episode. I think John said this guy actually works as a soap star. I can see it. Looks like one of those cats that won the genetic lottery, a real good-looking GQ type. But John also said he was smart. Wicked smart, I believe. As we say in New England, wicked smart. And sometimes we throw pissa in the mix. Basically pisser without the R rounded off. And he is wicked smart. 
And uh, maybe he's the male Jacqueline Glenn, always having to prove he's not just another pretty face. So I watched a video he did responding to Matt Slick. Matt Slick is a prominent Christian apologist, and it's pretty funny his last name is Slick because he talks really fast like a used car salesman uh, who's trying to sneak the facts or lack thereof by you. And kind of like with essence of thought, I find I have to try to remain firing on all aid to keep up with him. Definitely an agile thinker and, and very well versed in philosophy. So I hope you're happy, John. I covered your favorites for you. <coughs> That's my New England accent. There were a couple of others I almost forgot, uh, actually a few. Thunderfoot, Sargon, uh, Tildare. Uh, I think Tildare's an atheist. But one thing they all kind of have in common is that they, uh, who else? Yeah, Mikeru, I believe. But the one thing they have in common is that they all often rail against feminism, or at least radical feminism. I'm not sure if any of them consider themselves men's rights activists, with the exception of Tildare, who may be a part of uh, the MGTOW movement, which stands for men going it their own way, or men, men going their own way. I had never even heard of that term or acronym until I researched those Gamergate episodes not too long ago. I personally don't care about the ongoing battle between MRAs and radical feminists. It's interesting in a highly irritating sort of way, but not my fight. I'd rather focus on religion, philosophy, using logic to try to suss out the answers to the big questions. But speaking of Thunderfoot, I know his father recently passed, and uh, he'll probably never hear this, but I wish him all the best for whatever that's worth. That's kind of like the secular version of saying you're praying for someone. Uh, it can't be easy. Uh, I, I was about to end the show, but there's also Cult of Dusty. I don't know too much about Cult of Dusty, but he's a former hardcore Christian, I think, uh, has a strong Southern accent, got like a goatee and a baseball hat, kind of seems like a good old boy, really kind of over the, you know, over the top, but he's fun to watch, definitely doesn't pull any punches. If you're someone who's really politically correct or someone who's religious at all, you might find his channel insulting, but I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty fun and entertaining. Uh, but with that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. You guys know the drill. You can like the show on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, check out the YouTube channel. You can also listen on Stitcher. You can rate the show or subscribe through iTunes. You can also go to Podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, where I host my feed. And you can find all the archives there going back to episode one. Just look for The Week in Doubt. If you want to support the show monetarily, you can donate as little as 99 cents using the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. It seems inescapable. And you can also become a, a patron through uh Podbean now, which is basically probably just the same thing. You're just donating money via PayPal. Or you can uh, support the show through Patreon. And if you do that, there's certain little kind of unlockables or rewards. Right now, you can get a free version of the St. Patrick's Day audio documentary I did. Uh, you can either listen to it streaming or download it, and that way you get the artwork I designed myself with it. That's been up there for a while. As I said at the top of the show, I'm editing a H.P. Lovecraft story that I narrated. 
and I'm going to put that up as a reward very soon. And when I do that, I might leave the St. Patrick's Day audio doc up as well, but I might make a video version uh, of the St. Patrick's Day audio doc and put it on YouTube and see if I can kind of monetize it, get some clicks if enough people watch it or whatever. Uh, okay, um, yeah, but if you want to support me through Patreon, just go Patreon and look for The Week in Doubt. It actually might be patreon.com slash The Week in Doubt. Uh, with all that being said, uh, thanks for listening, and until next week. <laughs>